All right, welcome to Real Talk of Real Life. This is your host, Ryan Riggs. Uh, today we have uh, Joel Elson in the building, and uh, Joel is a master life coach, motivational speaker, author of the book The Bench, and also a consultant. He's a father of three sons, TJ, Chris, and Justin, and Joel is an advocate for children in the foster care and helping to find homes for special needs and other children. Uh, also, Joel has, uh, you know, I've kind of seen Joel through my journey um, on this path that I've been on professionally, um, and also on recovery. And, uh, you know, has, he has played a major part in, um, you know, helping me stay focused uh, on, on the attaining of my goals, man. And so uh, I just know how, how much of an impact um, having people like you in my life has been, Joel. And so I wanted to have you on today to kind of discuss, uh, you know, some of your ways of thinking and, 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 and uh, areas of practice that have enabled you, enabled you to to uh you know get where you're at and also to uh help motivate other people so uh, so how you doing things are great my friend i appreciate it uh i i have huge mutual respect for you as well your journey uh just to watch you grow in the the, the time that i've known you and and the work you do it's it's sort of the point of of recovery to me and i i'm really glad to be here and uh just just we share a lot of views and uh uh, we, we've had some many, many, many good talks over the over the last couple of years about just uh, opinions of how to approach things and maybe some things that aren't done correctly. So uh, I look forward to discussing all that with you. All right. So uh, so so what's going on with you now? What's your major area of focus? Like what's going on in your life with, uh, you know, what what type of stuff are you, uh, you know, what, what's Joel doing with his life today? Well, I, I have a private practice of my life coaching private practice. I, I see clients in my office here in Richmond. I also uh, work with uh, people across the country via Skype and, and doing life coaching, motivational coaching, performance coaching. Recovery coaching is a big part of what I do also, uh, helping people with uh, may, maybe they're in recovery and, and they're, they're going well, but they, they want that next part. And uh, so I, I do a lot of that. Um, I, I have several several irons in the fire, so to speak. I'm always looking for uh, um, not just income, but just areas that I love. I'm very much into uh, sort of the law of attraction, metaphysical thought. I've, I've just recently become a certified hypnotherapist. I believe in you know that those sub reaching the subconscious brain. Very much into health and nutrition and exercise. Uh, I, I think they are a, a key and vital part of, of can be of, of mental health in general, particularly of benefit to the to the addict. Uh, and as you mentioned, I'm very passionate about uh, helping uh, uh, kids that don't necessarily have much of a shot in life in the foster care system. Some of the older kids or kids with special needs. Uh, I've adopted three children from foster care myself, and uh, 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 the my youngest uh, is still with me. He's 13. Uh, just recently adopted him. You've actually watched that journey I with did, me unfold, and yeah, you you know Justin real well, and uh, he's thriving. And and so I, I'm just I just have been blessed with uh, uh, I've been blessed as out of the sounds uh, with an incredible addiction that led to an incredible recovery, and none of it could have happened if it never uh, if all this didn't unfold exactly as it needed to unfold. So. Uh, uh, it, that's just how I view life. I, I, I think that uh, life has, we, we all have these incredible opportunities and we often uh, don't realize they're right in front of us. Yeah. So do you, so it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I was just talking with someone the other day, as you know, uh, you know, recently I was blessed to, um, you know, to, to, to purchase a home for the first time. And, um, you know, it's like when, when these big life events and things happen in my life, um, 
you know, I look back at all the struggle and all of the, the madness of what my addiction brought me. And uh, as much as I, uh, you know, sometimes look back and, and, I, and I don't have good feelings about the people that I've hurt um, along the way, it's like when I when these big things happen in my life, I look back and I realize, like, I would not be the person I am today and not uh, be on the journey and, and be able to to have the things I have internally and externally, if not. Uh, you know, especially the drives to do the, the certain things, if not for the the uh, the extreme lows and, and the bottoms that I that I found. And so I guess I'm curious as to, uh, you know, how that played into you um, finding the motivation and desire to, to chase after the, um, you know, the purpose in life that you have. Well, and, and, and we, we I love our conversation about this in the past, too. One of the one of the beliefs that I have for every single human that we go through and people in recovery. I'm very fond of, of, the, uh, of recovery and people that have struggled and people that have battled. And I think that we, life has two views in my mind. You're, you, you can take the, the victim mode, life is going to happen to you and you're, you're stuck and you're cursed. Or you can say life is going to be a series of struggles and challenges and if you allow them to take place, if you allow them to do it and approach it with that right attitude, it, it will drive you to heights you never could reach. There's very few super successful people that did not get their drive from failure or trying hard. Uh, there, and, and there's always people that life appears to be real easy for. I, I Those aren't my people. So uh, <laughs> my people are, you know, in, in no disrespect, it's just the people that I'm fascinated with. I'm, I'm fascinated with the screw-ups of the world, the addicts of the world, the ones that, you know, I have eaten out of a trash can. I've been homeless. I've been to jail. I've lost everything. I've, 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 I've literally had days. I've had a gun in my mouth. I've been beaten in the head with a two-by-four. Every single one of those events are horrible events that have eventually pushed me to the heights that I have now. I'm, I'm far more successful than I thought I ever would be. Uh, and and I, I owe it to success being broadly defined in all areas of my life. I, I, I owe it to this series of events that, that it, many of them almost killed me. They literally almost killed me. That's not an exaggeration. But they didn't, and I learned my attitude toward those events made me stronger. And so life has thrown incredibly difficult things in my path. I have survived them. And not not do I wallow in that. I also realize I've been strengthened by them. I'm a better person because of what I've been through. I have more empathy for people than what I've been through. And I also don't, don't allow people to do a lot of whining, complaining, and victimhood because, oh, yes, all this happened to me. Yeah, it did. And that's going to be a defining moment one way or another. But your attitude to what happens to you makes a difference. It's a resilience, a learned resilience, as opposed to a learned helplessness. And, and we are often inundated. You see them all the time. I see them you know, constantly. I've been one. I've been a person who all I could see was a negative. Woe is me. You probably don't remember this, but you were having we were uh, working together at a, at a, a treatment facility uh, a, a couple of years ago. And. Uh, you, you, you were really, I mean, things were going good. You were loving your job. You're incredible at what you were doing, but you had two or three things go wrong. Your car wasn't working right. It broke down and you're like, you know, I don't know. And then we had a quick moment of like, are you kidding me? All you've been through this, you're going to allow a car to fuck your, you know, <laughs> mess your world up. And, 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 and you just instantly, you're like, you're right. And then all of a sudden it worked out perfectly. It's like, wow, that wasn't near as bad as I thought, but you could see how the old way of thinking 
versus next. What what you got next? I you, I, I love the statement. There's a, a quote, and I'm going to mess it up because I don't have it right in front of me. But you've been given this mountain to cl- to move to prove to others that this mountain could be moved. Yep. We've been given this life to live, and we can do it, or we can be a victim of it, or we can say, next, what what you got next? And you and you wake up one day and you own a home. You wake up one day and you have everything you ever dreamed of, and you realize that you didn't allow these horrible events. And I'm not trying to minimize the events that our people are going through. I know what it feels like. You know some depths that I've been to, but I do want to encourage people to understand. Uh, oftentimes, recovery is mistaken for something of a lack, where I won't ever be able to have much, or I'll I have to spend every day worrying about not using, drugging, or drinking, or gambling, or whatever your stuff is. Or you can realize there's a few things that I can't do, but I've opened up a limitless world of possibility. I am a single male convicted felon and i've adopted three children from foster care that doesn't seem possible <laughs> yeah and and, and, it, and they're happy when? you know you've raised some happy some happy very uh you know wonderful children man so that that's an amazing feat you know well and, and you look at it, it and there's there's just a chain of events and each one has their own chain of events that led to the next chain of events and i couldn't the fact that you, you know our paths crossed it, there there's an incredible chain of events that happened that led me to us meeting that led you to meeting and, and everybody I meet. So when I look at it, there's no, things will happen, but my perspective to what has happened is in my control. I can't control what comes my way, but I am very much in control of how I look at it. And, and one of the things that I have noticed with, and this is not being critical because it, it, there's a concept that's greatly mistaken in, in 12 step programs or programs of recovery in general. I'm not beating up 12 steps, but I, I, I think this missed a lot. I keep hearing the word powerlessness and I, I really cringe at that word while I'm in my addiction. I am powerless over my, I, that is an absolute fact. It's not negotiable, but a lot of people have changed that into a concept of you're powerless in general. Yep. That is the exact opposite of what we are. We are freakishly powerful in our recovery. We can do amazing things in our recovery. And if you buy into the concept that you're powerless, you will then live a powerless life. So I, I, I'm not critical that the original intent was not about us being powerless. The concept was when I'm, I'm a recovering compulsive gambler, uh, if, if, if I'm gambling, I have no control. I, I get that. I'm powerless. Over it. I'm, just, I'm going to lose everything. But somewhere along the way of me not gambling recovery, I have the ultimate power in my life. And that's very important to understand. There's nothing that can't be done in recovery with the right mindset and the right. And that is that's the selling point that I try to do with not just the people I work with, my kids and the message I put out there. It's your your belief. Recovery is not a whiny state of mind of woe and me. Recovery is joyful. It's grateful. It's I want success. There's no. Nowhere written in recovery, you're, you're going to have limited success. This is about live off of that drive. That's what I use the failures of life, struggle. I fail every day of my life. I try hard. If I don't fail today, I haven't tried hard enough. I've redefined my definition of all that stuff. Yeah, I think, I think one of the most uh, defining moments for me in my, in my recovery was, and I don't know if you've heard this story from me uh, yet or not, Joel, but, I, you know, when I was in Tucker's, I was at my very bottom. I was wanting to kill myself. And, um, you know, I was telling my wife how, you know, uh, I wanted to kill myself. It was the most rational thought I could come up with was I'll stop hurting everybody. I'll stop 
hurt myself and it just be over with. And, uh, and she, she said, she said, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the universe was kind of speaking through her, man, at that point. But it was like, it was like this moment where, um, I had this moment of clarity, uh, where I realized that the reason I was where I was and I, and I am, an, you know, I, I did suffer with a substance use disorder. Right. But I realized that at that moment that I was sitting in Tucker's again, wanting to kill myself again, had lost my place to live again because of my behavior and the choices that I made. And so, and when I realized like, I was where I was as a result of the decisions that I made. One might think that that's a heavy burden to bear. Like, okay, this is all my fault. But the reality of it for me was that was like the beginning of the spark of freedom for me because I was absolutely. Yeah. Because once I realized that, that like you're talking about that power, once I realized my power, I'm no longer a victim. Right. You know what I mean? And it, and I certainly do, and, and I love how you how you pointed that out. And here here's what your the mindset shift that you had, the growth you went from victim mindset to growth mindset in that moment. When you once you understand, I am here as a result of my choices and behavior. Yes, there's a lot of explanation of why, but at the end of the day, there's nobody that put that shit in your body, nobody that made you go buy it. No, you did that at the end of the day. That's right. Now. It's not wallowing in it, but it's like because the, the answer on the other side of that, the, the, the big – because if you caused it, you can fix it. That's, right. That's the power. I did that. I did the exact same thing. I stole money from my family's company. I, I, I stole money from everybody. I stole money from girlfriends. I was, if I knew you, I stole from you. That was my job, <laughs> and, and I, 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 I stole from everybody. I had I, – I, I realized – and so when I'm sitting in – jail in florida and not a soul in the world is speaking with me and you know my fiance who i'd had i sold her engagement ring so she was certainly not on board with any me getting me out and you know there, there was nobody i could turn to and there was the awakening of of uh, you know the, the the weirdest thing that ever happened and it, it both were jail moments for us and i i didn't have the benefit of of anybody helping me see this but i i, I had feared going to jail for so long and i was I was living in a halfway house uh, on the beach in Florida. There's worse places to live than that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so I was arrested and I was taken to jail and I was, I was, and I don't know what this happened I, on the way there. I was weepy and Oh God, my life's over. I'm going to be a convicted felon. And there's no, sh and there was something about it, but when they closed that door and I was like, Oh, thank God, this is over. And I don't know why that might, that popped in my mind. I don't, it was a whole different thing. It's like, okay, well, you, you're, you're facing your worst fear. And inside of me just had this great epiphany. I started something on that day in jail that b changed my life. I, I started, you know, because somebody had always told me, write five things you're grateful for every day. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, bullshit, bullshit, whatever. And, you know, and you dismiss that as like, that means nothing. I started saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm alive. I, 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 I have no more jail to go, whatever. And I didn't know if I was going to get two weeks in jail or, or 20 years. I had no idea what I was facing. But if there was a moment that I could stop, I can move on, I can move forward. And I began the process of writing. Now, I ran out of paper about four days into this, and I started writing on toilet paper, which I still have that. But I wrote every day five things I'm grateful for. And that's been tw over 23 years ago. And I have never missed a day in my life of writing five things I'm grateful for. And that is including 
on on a Saturday morning at 6 a.m. when I got a call that my son was dead, I still wrote five things I was grateful for that day, as as I did when my mother died. It's that important to me, and that's how important that that all that we've been through to, to remain that grateful state of mind to understand the only gift that matters, Ryan. This this is what you whether you realize it or not. You could talk about everything that's going on. If you wake up this morning, if you're listening to this, it's Friday morning, I guess we're listening to this, and you have realized you've been given another day. That's all, with, with that power, you have limitless opportunities. As long as you've got that going, you can whine about what you lost, or you can say, I have limitless opportunities starting today. Right now, you've been given that. What a grateful mindset to live in. Right. So walk me through. So, I, so you know, you're sitting in the jail cell and, you know, because it's a journey of, you know, you, you're so the same way we develop any type of character traits or any type of skill, um, you know, mastering the human mind is also a skill. And so kind of walk me through because, you know, I know you wrote some things down when you were in jail, but, you know, the development of your of your mindset and the the um, expanding of your mind uh, has been a process. So walk me through, um, you know, how you kind of got on to um, the, 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 the mindset that you are now. Uh, I know it's a long, it's a long story, but yeah. um, if, <laughs> if you could. Only, only, tw- only, only about 24 years there. <laughs> we'll try to narrow it down. Right. So if you can walk me through some like defining moments of like, you know, sure. like something you read or, you know, some things you practice that you begin to, you know, whatever that looks like, um, you know, kind of walk me through, uh, you know, how you got some of these key elements of living that have uh, begun to really shape and, 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 and uh, benefit you in your life. Well, uh, certainly, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do that. Uh, one, one of the things that, that uh, uh, I'm looking forward to is, is, you know, where this goes, even still to this day, all these years later. So because of these things you're talking about, I had this uh, wonderful journey where, you know, starting in jail, I'll start there. I realized there was a moment I, I spent my entire life avoiding going to jail. It was my most scary moment. It was my dad was mayor of our small town. I was worried about what everybody thought, um, the image I had always projected, and now my ass is in jail. It, it, I thought I would be dead. My goal was to kill myself before they arrested me. I didn't have the police did not really give me that opportunity. They they didn't discuss that part with me. <laughs> so they, they 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 assisted me to jail without any. You know, fortunately it wasn't bad, but I didn't have a chance to kill myself. I didn't even go to Plan B. What happens if you're in jail and you can't kill yourself? So, I, but I had when I it, it, jail began began the awakening of like I have now faced the worst thing that I've ever been through. And ironically, if I look back on it, jail was not my real bottom. I had worse bottoms in jail. Jail was actually, I was able to eat. I was able to sleep. That was better than a lot of situations I've been in. But jail allowed me the process of of, of seeing that, yeah, I, I can bounce back. And when I got out of jail, I was uh, I had been working multiple jobs uh, before I went into jail. I was waiting tables. I mean, I used to work for my dad's insurance company, making a lot of money. And then I'm waiting tables and doing odd jobs. And I got out of jail. I continued that process. I was living in a halfway house. Um, The owner of the halfway house asked me I wanted to be a house manager at some point. I took training to be a counselor. And it just slowly, these things slowly started happening. I was very much 12-step based at the time. I said I'm not bashing the 12 steps, but I I had bought into it. They were very effective for me early. It got me going. Uh, I I was going to seven meetings a week, literally sometimes 12 meetings. We'd do two a days. 
uh, and, and I did. I went to seven meetings a week, a week for at least two years. And so I did a lot of meetings. I worked every day. I, I, I just put my nose to the grindstone after jail. And so I started having this, these various things happen. And uh, that, like you're talking about, these awakenings, I started seeing things differently. I, even though, um, for example, when I got in recovery from my gambling, I stopped gambling. And one thing that was still going on with me, I would be around a group of people outside of a Gambler's Anonymous meeting, and I was still telling a bunch of lies. I was a liar. And uh, I, I was making up these stories. I didn't, I didn't understand, right? Why, why am I lying? I don't know. I'd ask myself, why am I lying? It's, it's, it, it, so I realized that even though I'd stopped my addiction, the, the, the side effects or some of the other behaviors within my addiction were I was, I was a liar. So I, I began, a, I started one of that awakening. I needed to have be re, go in recovery from my compulsive lying as well. So I instituted a program of, of un, unfiltered truthfulness. That didn't work out too well. So I had to get to uh, a, a little less, you know, the, that, yeah, there's a whole bunch of, my girlfriend asked me, does the dress look, maybe look fat stuff that did not end well with my answers. Um, so I had to get to a, a reasonable amount of truthfulness. And then I also realized my mood swings were still there. I wasn't gambling, but I was still having really depressed days. I was still thinking, is, is this all there is in life? And so I, I, I realized I'd always lifted weights and exercised my life in most of my life. But however, things are going on. I wasn't doing a lot during that time. But I knew exercise, not speaking for me, was I tried all antidepressants and that stuff for it. But exercise was wonderful for me. So I, I, I implemented, I will exercise every day of my life. If, if No matter how depressed I am, I'm going to the gym. It's just not negotiable. And that became my way of living. I literally cured my depression with that. Um, and then my mindset kept growing. I kept making these discoveries. And uh, through a long chain of events, uh, you know, I ended up, uh, the, the halfway house I was running, we actually tr- transitioned into a treatment center. Uh, I was at that point a certified gambling counselor. Uh, we opened up a, a uh, treatment center in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Now, I left the beaches of Florida for the, uh, the Rock Hill, South Carolina. I was not pleased with that move at first. It was oh, not man. my my golden <laughs> moment. But, uh, yeah, it, and, and I had a bad attitude about that as well because it, it, was, it, was, uh, it worked out where I didn't plan on being in the counseling field. Um, I, I, it was filling my void then. But once I got off probation, I paid off you know, paid off all my money I stole. I paid every penny back. I got all probation. And, you know, I, I was like, well, I'll just get another job. Well, I, I was going to be transferred to this uh, a treatment center we have in South Carolina. And I, I what, didn't want to go. My, my goal when I got up there was only to be there a few months and get another job and quit and come back to Florida. Um, and, and I had, had a, a huge awakening. I was in South Carolina. I, 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 you know, just, just started getting involved with many things and, and, and I started growing there as well. I really fell in love with South Carolina and that led to a whole nother chain of events. So I had these growths along the way. And then I started understanding one of the biggest factors. I, I don't ever want to declare, declare anything as the biggest factor because all these things mattered. But I've ha- I had a, a, a moment where I, I, had, I had to look at everything different. Um, the worst one of the worst things that ever happened to me, and I mentioned to it when we were talking earlier, I mentioned it earlier, but I was in Las Vegas. I'd been homeless for four or five days. And I had, 
I hadn't eaten in four or five days and I, I, I didn't have any money. I had no one to call. Everybody was done with me. It was, it was, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I already sold my, back then you were able to sell your plane ticket. You needed an ID to get on a plane so you could sell a plane ticket. So I sold my plane ticket. And so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in Las Vegas. I never understood what hungry was until you go four or five days without eating. My, it, it, it was disgusting. So one of the horrible events that I, I never told anybody about this for many years. Um, I, I went behind the McDonald's uh, on the Las Vegas strip in 114 degree weather in August. And I pulled a semi rotten hamburger that had been discarded out and I ate it. Um, it was crunchy and it had bugs and maggots on the outside of the wrapper. They hadn't penetrated it, but it was crunchy. The cheese was crunchy. Right. And I, re I remember as I swallowed that I'm going, you know, God, if you exist, I hate you. I fucking hate you. I, I have no, this makes no sense. I, I, can, I cannot ever imagine that this event, I was furious. I, it was a trauma. Right. I had to eat out of a trash can. And I'd love to tell you that low point was when I never gambled again. That was a long time ago in Las Vegas. And uh, so you fast forward, I, I go, I get to a worse period. I end up in jail. Then I end up going to the halfway house. Now I'm, now I, I'm, I've caught the story at the South Carolina. Right. Um, I'm in South Carolina. One of the things I used to do was run group homes for kids. And this is sort of my foster care connection. And there was a local foster care agency that had, uh, uh, they worked with finding kids homes and, and getting foster parents for, it's called a therapeutic foster care program mm -hmm. for sort of the di difficult kids. Now I, being a single male convicted felon, I never thought I would be able to uh, foster, but I, I volunteered to do training for the new parents which I love to train. I'm, I, I love to, to, it's just one of my teaching stuff I love. I, it's one of my hobbies. And, and so I volunteered my time there and I trained parents and, and, and I, it was a big success. And so after doing that for several months, the manager of the company came and said, we have a, a proposition for you. So we have a, a, a young man that he'd been in 17 different foster care placements in a 24 month period. Tomorrow he's tomorrow he's going to the state hospital, and once you go to the state hospital, you don't get out. Oh, and man. would would you consider being his foster parent? And I'm like, you know, I I, I reminded them, you know, remember single male convicted felon, uh, probably not your most, you know, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, I, I, and they go, no, we already have waivers. Your crimes have never been against children, and uh, you, the fact that you're you really know what you're doing. We think somebody like you might have the best shot. So this kid, of course, I said yes. I, I told him I have to think about it. I, I didn't even really. I knew I always would say yes. But I, I went home and I prayed about it. And I thought about it. And I said, I'll do it. So the next day, I meet this kid. He's a skinny little guy. He's about 70 pounds. And, and, but he came with nothing. He had, he, he, everything was really, really bad. And, and, and you know, so he didn't, he didn't like me particularly. I wasn't really fond of him either. I did feel sorry for him, but he was a little ass. And, um, and he, he, the next day, the first day after that, we went to school and you have to go to school for an IEP meeting. So I'm trying to get him ready and say, come on, buddy, you got to get ready. And he came out wearing a ripped t-shirt and I had bought him a new, bunch of new shirts. And I said, no, no, you got to wear the other shirt. Well, he went off, he threw a fit and this is going somewhere. So don't worry, Ryan. I'm so he threw a fit. He threw a fit. And he, I'm wearing, I wear what the fuck I want to wear. And I'm going, Oh God. And so he ripped his little shirt off and he stomped. It was sort of funny. Cause it was, he was just jumping up and down <laughs> screaming. Like and, he, 
yeah, he was cussing and he, he had all words mixed up. So I was trying not to laugh, but at the end he goes, and you're a whole ass. I go, what? And he goes, you're a whole ass. I said, no, 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 I'm an asshole. You, you, <laughs> you, it, and, and so, so he, he looked at me and he goes, well, I guess you want me to get my shit and get out of your house too. And I go, no. I said, but when you get home from school today, I'm going to teach you how to cuss properly. <laughs> and he, he, he just stopped his fit. And he, he, he looked at me and he's like, well, this guy's maybe crazy. And to fast forward a little bit, he started to thrive. He started, he couldn't read. He was in sixth fifth grade at the time. He couldn't read. In six months, Ryan, this kid was reading on grade level. He totally changed his behavior. He turned, And nobody could believe it. This is a kid that was going to go to the state hospital. So his caseworker came out, and she said, what, what happened here? What did you do? And I go, I, I don't know. And, and he said, well, he's never talked about his past. If you can get him to open up about his past, you will change this kid's world. So the following Saturday, he's sitting at the kitchen table, eating his little peanut butter sandwich, and, and – uh, I said, hey, buddy, we need to talk about your past. Your caseworker said he never talked. He started crying. He started getting mad. And it, it, this is the most, what, probably one of the most pivotal moments of my life is, is I had no idea this, this kid would affect my life so much. And he was, I've never seen him so, I didn't know what he was so upset about. I knew he'd been through a lot of neglect. I knew he'd been, you know, really in bad shape. I said, I'm sorry. I, I just, I want to help you. You know, you never told anybody what you've been through. I know it was bad, but I, I didn't even know what he'd been through at the time. So he stands up and he pounds his little fist on the table. and He goes, how the fuck would you know what it's like to eat out of a goddamn trash can? Oh, man. And so it, it, it just was like, I had chills. I got chills when I just told that story again. I told it a thousand times. Uh, it, it is the moment that I realized what if me eating out of the dumpster, the trash can, was a necessary event to bond with this kid? What I, I, I just had to, I had to reassess everything. I had to I had to look at it like, oh my God, I, I, maybe my worst trauma of my life wasn't even a trauma. It isn't now. I'm grateful it happened. And so I saw how that led to the person I am. He we bonded. Of course, I've mentioned TJ. That's my son TJ, and it just was a. Uh, that never would have happened if I didn't eat out of a trash can. I know, man. So I when I when I look, and, and we all do that. That's a very dramatic story, but that we all have those pivotal moments when you can wake up and you say, "Wow, I, I realized." And so I had to reevaluate. So I, I I had to look at something bigger than I was looking at before. Maybe this wasn't. You know, see, I always was the assumption I was a screw up, and I was just basically fortunate to be you know, I'm grateful to have a life and all that sort of from a, yeah, yeah, whatever. But now I'm like, wait, what if this were all necessary, all this stuff to change me and make me the person that I'm going to be. So I started approaching life that way. I changed my perspective on, on everything instead of dreading stuff, like looking forward to challenges and, and realizing my struggles made me stronger. And then, then the next biggest moment is when, you know, I'd moved up to, uh, from South Carolina, I'd been offered a job by a gentleman in uh, uh, Richmond and Hanover. Had a treatment center there, and uh, he, he was a gambling treatment center. And he came down and he basically hired me. It took me a year to accept the job. Uh, I moved. Uh, my son TJ was already grown. Uh, he didn't move with us, but my son Chris and I moved up here, and uh, I started working up here. and And you know, I was director of director of operations that facility. I, I very I love what we were doing there. Um, but along the way, I met 
I, I went to a training that introduced me to the concepts of the law of attraction. Right. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. And so I started to, when you first hear it, you know, I'm like, oh, the law of attraction basically says what you're thinking about, what you're believing, what you're feeling creates your reality. If you're a cursed low life loser, then yes, you're a cursed low life loser. If you are poor, you're poor. If you're richer, it's what you believe you are is what you become. That becomes the fulfilling reality of your life. So I always thought my reality was dictated to me. I always believed that this is the circumstances you have to deal with. And, and I almost believed, and that's sort of the point, you, you've been dealt these circumstances, you deal with it. Well, on one level, that has some reality to me. But once I got through the law of attraction and understanding on a deeper level, Ryan, this is what changed everything. I had the epiphany that if I'm in control of my life by how the emotion and by how I'm feeling and my energy and my effort, if I'm in control of that, then I'm actually in control of my reality. I'm not dictated a reality because I was already dictated. And that, that was mind altering. Yeah. And, 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 and so maybe the rest of my life was meant. And, and then I started looking at things just in such a deep, deep uh, perspective. And one of our mutual friends that I know you, you just think the world of like I do. And uh, you know, Dr. Sherman master on the great addiction psychiatry and great people on the planet. One of my favorite um, people in the world, man. I love Absolutely. <laughs> him and I, that we met, that's at the treatment center I was working out there. That's where we met. And him and I, he, he was re- instrumental in helping me see this too, from sort of the psychology side of things. Right. And, and, and so I was able to put all this together and my growth you know, the, the idea, one of the things that, that I object to strongly, and it seems like it's a, a, a mini sticking point, you know, you'll often go to a 12-step room. I've had this argument multiple times. And you, you go to a 12-step room. It's, it's, it's uh, you, 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 I stand up, hey, I'm, I'm Joel Elston. I'm a compulsive gambler. And that's what you're expected to say. Well, I, I believe whatever after, what I say after, hi, I'm Joel Elston, I'm A, whatever I say after that is my defining moment. Right. And I will say I'm a recovering compulsive gambler. I already say I'm a tr- person in long-term recovery, or I won't say anything at all, but I no longer declare because I, I will not make that my rep. What I say after I am matters. Your, your inner dialogue accesses your subconscious. And when you're believing these things – you're a loser. You're this. You're poor. You're destined to always do this. There, there's. You're, you're, that's what. That's your reality. Yeah. Um, the, does that make sense? It does, man. Because I, I can tell you, you know, I think um, my experience uh, is is very parallel. Of course, the circumstances are different, but you know, when I got into twelve step recovery, what they could, one of the most important principles they connected me with was open-mindedness and the receiving of of new ideas. And so when I begin to receive new ideas and and I begin to to see the efficacy of those ideas, it's like, okay, this starts working. But, but then I find myself uh, here within the last few months or six months or so at this crossroads where um, that's where I'm at with it is that is, is I, uh, but 12 step recovery has given me so much freedom that I no longer want to be bound by the restrictions that that actual thing puts on me. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and so I find myself holding some guilt about that because I'm like, man, this place saved my life. But, but at the same time, it's like, 
this is what it's about, right? This is what the journey is about. This, this program that saved my life helped connect me to a power um, that is greater than myself. And that power for me happens to be things like the law of attraction, um, you know, no coincidences, all of these things that we're talking about today. And it's like, uh, and, and that's kind of where I'm at, man. I'm going on this track where I'm just, um, you know, it, it's almost like when I explain it to somebody, it's kind of like, uh, when I was a little kid, I don't mean to go on in this long story, Joel, but when I was a little kid, we had these um, these sewer tunnels in my neighborhood, right? And and you could go in this, and you could, you know, as a kid, you could get in it. It wasn't a real small one like the one in your front yard. This was like a, a industrial one. And, and you could go all the way down in it. When you get way down in there, it got to the point to where you couldn't even see the light. You know, it was like dark. And then, but you could see one little dot at the end of the tunnel. And so... Um, and, you know, for me, like, and then once I start walking towards that light, right, eventually it gets bigger and bigger. But then what happens is I get out of that tunnel and it's like a whole different expanse of like, you know, the world. And that's what yeah. recovery has been like for me. It's like, you know, when I was uh, got on this journey and started going on my 12 step path, which I incorporated a lot of my faith based paths into it and all that stuff. But but eventually I got to a point to where. Like I'm not in that tunnel anymore. Like I'm completely on this. Uh, my mind Absolutely. and my reality has become so open, and the expanse of it is so great that um, it, it's it's a bit overwhelming, but it's very uh, exciting at the same time. Well, and, and one of the things that I had to struggle with for a long time because when I first started my counseling role, I, I'm I was down the road, middle hardcore, eat dirt, twelve step. You know what I'm saying? Right. Shut your mouth that kind of thing, you know, it is good. I am never bashing the 12 steps. The 12 steps saved my life. The program opened me up to an entirely different thing. I think recovery, or it, it, it's, it, it, it's a million steps. And the first 12 steps are important, but there's a million more after that. No doubt. And, and, and so, you know, with, within a way, one of the things that happens in any, if we see it, I see this locally and not, not naming any names, obviously I don't want to criticize anybody, but, uh, the overall concept of addiction, you have people that run addiction centers with this philosophy or, or facilities with this philosophy and this philosophy. And the problem is, instead of us understanding that we're all individuals, there's a term that I thrive on called bio-individuality. It is every individual will respond differently to something. The concept, if you try to make somebody forced into your way of thinking because you think you're the only one that's doing it right, that's where the problems come. And I see that a lot. I get very frustrated when we lose track of the overall service to recovery and not accept multiple paths. One of my, um, another joint uh, a friend of ours, uh, Evelyn Zach, is also a very big believer in bio-individuality. She's a yoga instructor, a, a, a therapist, incredible lady. I love her. And She's amazing with her, and 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 you know her and I've had count. We were we, I used to work with her in a, a former facility as well, and, and we have countless uh, conversations. Of, and we grow. I, like there's always this conversation: is medication assisted treatment recovery or not? I see constant battles. Is is CBD oil recovery? You know, the bottom line is: are you going to? If we got to stop this, we got to stop the battles that separate us and look at the commonalities. And, and we got to quit dictating to other people what works for them. I had a heroin addict. This young lady, she was 19 years old, and she was on the, the highest. She was shooting so much heroin, it was just, 
it was a matter. I don't know when she was going to die, going to die. It was going to happen. And one of the things that, that she implemented, we were working together. She went through nine different treatment centers, tried Suboxone, tried all the stuff, couldn't, couldn't do it. And, you know, we, we did a lot of what we're talking about here about it, but she started smoking. I'm not advocating this, but I'm just saying this is what she did. She started smoking a lot of pot. I'm talking a lot of pot. She detoxed herself off of heroin with pot. There's treatment centers in California where it's legal to do that. Uh, and then she, she's on a, what she calls a maintenance dose of pot. She's not doing that much. Now, if she goes to a meeting, people tell her she's not recovering. She's not going to die from heroin tonight. So there's a form of recovery there. And who am I to debate what works for you? And I'm about let's get people to save their life and then let their journey take them to where they want to be instead of saying, well, oh, here's where you're wrong. Or let's go on a, a Facebook argument. You, I, I, I very seldom, I try not to ever participate in those because everybody's jumping up and down and we're arguing minutia when people are dying. So the idea that we need to find out what works, 12-step programs in general, work for 15, uh, I'll graciously say 15 to 20% of the people uh, go into a 12-step room and make it clean for a year. Um, and there's other indicators that it's much lower than that. We'll use 15 to 20%. Well, I, I, I'm not trying to talk somebody who's finding success in the 12 steps out of there. But if I have somebody that's tried 12-step programs 50 times, and every time they go back, they're told, well, you're just not being honest with yourself, so you're not doing it right. Well, you know, I can't accept that. These people want to stop, but they just haven't been able to find it. So let's find another way. That's let's right. look at it. You know, and that's where we go. There's all types of – everybody comes at this as if the, the, the way they found recovery is the only way to do it. And that's, that's where I had to I, – I, I don't like when people have a certain religion that they think that I must hear and they must recruit me. I don't like that. I don't like it with recovery. You figure it out for yourself. And, and, and I have an incredible life. The, the concepts, the long-held beliefs have always been that this is the only way to do it. Because, and the only evidence I have of that is this is the way I did it versus right. you know, or judging somebody else for how they're doing it. These things, these awakenings, the greatest things that ever happened to me, I said earlier, first of all, my addiction led me to my recovery and all the craziness in my addiction led me to the incredible life I had and the struggle. So I'm very grateful for all that. And I don't feel that I need to, to apologize. I, of course, I've made amends. I want to say, I don't need to apologize for my success. I don't need, I, I want everybody to understand recovery can be a thriving state of mind. It's not a miserable state of mind. I've been in a room one time with a client. We went to an AA meeting in Jacksonville, Florida. And one guy stood up and he said, I haven't drank in 26 years and I want to drink just as bad as the day I walked in the room. And my advice was, go drink, dude. Now, that wasn't well received. Um, but, <laughs> it, 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 but my point wasn't for him to go drink. That's not what it's about. It's not about that. Recovery is not about just white knuckling this stuff for the rest of your life. It's about changing and growing, changing <laughs> your brain. And that's what we, that, you and I have talked about that a lot, Ryan. Yeah, it is. You know, I, so it's funny you're talking about this because I was listening to, uh, um, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Sam Harris's podcast. It's called Making Sense. But um, uh, No, I have not. But he has a, uh, he had a, he had a, uh, a doctor named Dr. Sally Sattel. She's a uh, psychiatrist and a lecturer at Yale. 
Um, also does some part-time stuff at a, uh, medically assisted treatment facility, but, but, uh, some of her ideas were very much similar. What she was saying was that what, what we're finding, what she's seeing, um, from a society standpoint is that, um, we have began to basically oversimplify addiction and what, and what that happened, what happens along with that is when you oversimplify it, you come up with a simplified solution, which is in fact, not effective. And so, And so her thing was, she said, I think that addiction um, at some level addiction, you know, when we when we over medicalize it, then um, the the drawback of that is that we give people a victim mentality because, oh, it's not your fault. You have this medical condition. Right. Yeah. Um, Right. And so and like and she went on to to break down different also overemphasizing behavior or overemphasizing um psychological stuff you know and so her her mentality is just like you're saying like look this is a very complex problem with a very complex solution um you know and so you know uh different things work for different people and uh the the uh i think we're doing more harm than good by the um the warring factions within the addiction recovery community that this way is better than that way you know because it's not true and, and that and that's sort of the the message. My ultimate goal one day is is to, you know, I, I look at recovery as yes, not not using. That's great. Uh, not using. Step one. <laughs> and that's my version. <laughs> you, you know, you 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 can't. You know, we we all are on board. We can check that one off. However, a lot of times people get stuck in what happened. I'm about let's fix your life. Let's get you some training. Let's get your license fixed. Everybody screwed up a license. You know that. You know that of I all do people, know that. my friend. Yeah, uh, but get, it, it, that sounds minimal. I have I have a couple of clients I've worked with the state of Virginia on DMV that's done a really good thing. They 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 really uh, a few people really understand the problem. I would love for there to be a solution to you know instead of the the you know oh by the way you're almost got your license back but we just found this DUI you had in North Carolina so you got to start over mm-hmm. you know there, there there's going to be an answer because if I want somebody you know the most important factor in, in long term sustained recovery is a is hope a belief something can get better and if you get somebody uh, on a path of wow I, I, I this is overwhelming I can't get it done so when it, I I take I, I use a uh, I coined the phrase or I stole the phrase. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> it's one of the two for sure. Uh, Solution-focused coaching is what I do. Right. You, what's your biggest problem? No matter what I think the biggest problem, what's your biggest problem? Well, I can't get a job because I can't get a license. Well, let's, let's work on your license. Let's do that. Uh, I, I, I had a guy one time when I was at the treatment center uh, out in Hanover. He was a compulsive gambler. And he came in and he owed a bunch of money and he couldn't focus his – and, and nobody could get him to pay attention. So uh, we, the, there was a bunch of different therapists that said, we don't know what to do with him. He won't participate in treatment. So I, I met with him that day and, and I said, what's your biggest problem? And he, and he showed me a picture of his son getting off the school bus. He's five years old. And uh, I said, oh, he's a cute kid. And he goes, I didn't take the picture. He said, my bookie took the picture. And wow. I said, what? And he said, yeah, I owe him $10,000. He didn't say anything, but he just sent me this picture. Wow. And he said, so everybody's telling me to focus on worry about stuff. Otherwise, what are we going to do? He said, I can't. He said, I'm worried about my son. And I said, well, if I could solve that, can you focus on treatment? I talked to him to give me the bookie's number. And I got on the phone. And by the time the bookie was done, he was apologizing and saying he will take his money whenever he gets it. And we, you know, we, we worked that out real quickly. Right. And 
once the guy had that problem solved, he's able to get recovered. That was 10 years ago when he's in recovery, still doing thriving. And in addressing the problems as they exist or perceived by your client or the people struggling, help get license back, help get, you know, the warrants taken care of. You know, I've done a really, I've seen amazing things happen with, you know, like these little stupid warrants or stupid things that come up, you know, calling the prosecutor, tell them what we're doing. We're in recovery. Let's, let's, let's get all this wrapped up and plead this thing out. Let's get these stupid things done. And when people solve those problems, then recovery becomes plausible. And and so helping people get transportation and there's just multiple things. So the solution is fixing people's lives, not just stopping the practice of it. Sure. There's a lot of stuff to deal with. Absolutely. But when you get so stuck on the trauma, you, you can unintentionally, re-traumatize or get people where they they're blaming the trauma may be the underlying cause of your stuff but at the end of the day right now we can deal with trauma but it it doesn't have to be fixed before you can move forward it 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 can be a co-occurring attempt no doubt i think too it's like um you know like so kind of elaborating on what you're saying too is so when you get somebody a solution-based uh, like you said, counseling or solution-based coaching. I know for me, the great thing about getting a solution or overcoming an obstacle for me has been, um, cause I was that guy, Joel, I was the guy that never thought like I can, I literally said the words numerous times. I will never have a license. I really believe that. And so law of attraction, right? right? So guess what? I've never had a license. You never <laughs> <liked you know? laughs> so, but what happened, this crazy thing began to happen. And I think it was, I, I want to say the license was probably the first thing that did it. But once I overcame this thing that I never thought I would overcome, it's like that it, it, it you were talking about hope. It gave me hope of like, okay, now what else can, if I overcame this thing that I never thought I could overcome, what else can I overcome? And then I overcome that. And then, so like with each obstacle and with each struggle that I overcome, like what, what actually happens, the bigger blessing is not the attaining of that thing. The bigger blessing is knowing that there's even more that I can do, you know? That's, that's the message that is so, that you're so on point with that. I'm, I'm, I love that point because one of the things that I always try to do early is set people up for success. And you, 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 we've had, I, I can go over the failures. There are many, I mean, many failures, a lot. And, uh, I, and, and all the stuff that I lost, the jobs I've lost, the cars I've had repossessed, the relationships I've lost. I could go on and on forever. I've done some horrible things in my addiction. I, I can focus on all that. Or I can say, here we go. Here's what we're doing. Step one, moving forward. I am going to f- start fixing these things. Then the hope of them. Fi- I remember you said, it's funny you said the car thing. I, I thought I would never, you know, everything was over for me. I'd never own a new car again or a good car. And as you know, that's not a problem. Yeah, yeah that, you got a beautiful uh, car. <laughs> yeah, and so, so you know, the, the idea that I, I go get whatever I want. If I want to go get a new Porsche tomorrow, I can go get a new Porsche tomorrow. I do whatever I want to do now. I believe it. It happened. So as I started to see these miracles happen, there's no limitations in what we could obtain. The only limitation that's reinforced by an addiction is what you came to believe during that process. Yes, you as an addict are never going to have this stuff. You in recovery have whatever you want. In fact, you're more driven. I've watched you. You have learned to take 
those those horrible things to drive you. You bought your first house, and that's just your first. Your next one's going to be up, up, up. You're, this is this is your life forward. Now, there's no limits to you, Ryan. But I've watched, and if you could, that's the mindset of selling the concept of hope versus the hopelessness mindset that so many people think they're in. Yes, and and, and this is you may if you decide to go edit this piece, I'm you'll you'll find it with this, okay? Because okay. I'm going to get really controversial. It's okay. I, and I'm I'm not claiming it's not. Once you're an addict, you're always an addict, right? Well, uh, actually, <laughs> even the twelve-step literature that I practice says that that's that that's not true. Okay, okay, good. Well, it, it's the pervasive thought for many, and and you know, and my my belief is first of all, I don't have. It's been twenty-four years since I placed a bet, but going to be. I don't have a cell in my body that's been, I, in fact, you know, every seven years you have new cells. Um, so I don't have a cell in my body that even existed when I gambled. Now that doesn't mean, when I say that, please hear, I don't need to take a, a $500,000 and go to Las Vegas. I, that's stupid. I, but the same brain that got me in trouble doesn't exist today. So, no. But when you, when you tell people that this is an incurable disease that you can never get over, you can manage it if you're lucky and all this – that the law of attraction is is driving that. You know, if I if I you know the subconscious the law of attraction responds to what you're believing on a subconscious level, and and so when you instill that as your reality, that is going to be your reality. Once you defeated the license obstacle, you you, you realize I can overcome anything now, and 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 even now. Your discovery as you move forward, you haven't scratched the surface of what's there. One of the comments I always make to you on Facebook, it isn't to belittle your accomplishment. You, I was very proud of you. I mean, I really love to see you got your first house. But my comment was, congratulations, keep your foot on the gas. That's right. I'm so happy you're there. But, don't, but this is still the beginning. You've got to realize that. There's no limits for you. And when you believe that in the hope, and, and, and I will tell you, Crazy stuff will happen. Horrible stuff will happen. But nonetheless, keep your eyes focused, understand it, and how you respond to that horrible stuff. You have a whole new way of doing it now. I do. And, you know, one of the things that's helped me with that, Joel, is that, you know, uh, so before I came to work at Real Life Community Center, I was working at, you know, uh, another place, uh, a local uh, medically assisted treatment facility. And, um, you know, and I was blessed there to, to work around people in recovery and everybody was in recovery for the most part. Maybe 90 percent of the people there uh, had some type of issue with a substance use disorder. And the same thing um, was when I was uh, uh, at the place I was before there, which was a pretty prominent recovery community organization. And, um, and, you know, but being here where I'm at now, I'm the only staff member that's in recovery. And so, um, so what I have, cause you know, one of the things that I do as a, 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 and it's kind of like a, a, a byproduct of the 12 step stuff is uh, I say stuff like, because I'm an addict, I do this. Or because I'm an addict, I think like this. And one thing about working around these people that I work with is they they don't let me say that mess. They say no, it's because you're human, not because you're an addict. Because we do the same thing, you know. It's yeah. just like, and so I begin to realize that like the the addiction that afflicted me was basically just a 
um, the way that I handled and the way I dealt with human problems. Like it wasn't, this is not specific to people with addictions, people that don't have addictions deal with the same thing. And so, and, and that has, and that has helped to catapult me out of this box that I found myself putting myself in as a result of the pathway that I chose um, to follow a recovery. I hope that makes sense. It does. And, and that, and, and that, we go back to that inner dialogue that we talked about earlier. And, right. and I'm glad you're in that community. By the way, I love what you guys are doing. I, I need to come by, meet everybody. I, I just see this incredible stuff you guys are doing. I have great respect for what you're doing. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you're in a group of people that are reminding you, first of all, mind your inner dialogue. There's nothing better you can do than keep that inner dialogue in the right direction. This, this, because I'm an addict, yeah, look, we all have screwed up. Some of us have screwed up absolutely horrible, horribly. But here we are. We can spend the rest of our life wallowing in what we did, or we could put a period behind that and make a difference now. And that's where, that's where that hope comes in. And, and by re, reframing your verbiage and your inner dialogue toward things, I really want people to understand there's a bigger picture than is, is right now addiction. Is, now, I'm in the field. You're in the field. So, but in my personal life, I don't struggle on a daily basis of placing a bet or not, or I, I, don't, it, I have a different mindset now. It's a whole different world now. And, and, you know, I, I, I have no doubt there's nothing that I can't get. I, I now know I achieve things however I want to achieve them. And, and I, I'm not saying this with arrogance. I'm saying this because I've learned I'm in charge of all this. I'm in charge of what I do. I work hard. I keep my foot on the gas. I don't have to have my foot on as hard on the gas as I do. I do. I like it. It feels good. And I, um, my one of my good friends is a financial planner. And he's like, Joel, we need to really get together on your retirement. And I'm like, huh, no. <laughs> they're, 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 uh, it, I'll be dead in my office or at the gym. Just carry me out. There's no retirement here. We're, we're doing this to the end. You know, mm -hmm. I love what I'm doing. There is no retirement. There isn't going to be that. I love this life. So when I live that way, I invite more things to do, so, to love and bring about. And that's what you're talking about in your personal life. The, the victimhood that often accompanies a lot of people's recovery is, is actually what drives people often backwards or not living a fulfilled life. This is about going beyond stopping using. It's going beyond their traditional. It's about wild success. This can propel you. If you could practice your life and what you're doing as intensely as you practice your addiction, imagine how successful you would be. No doubt. And that's what, that's what I reprogram. I would do anything to gamble. There was a time I was going to a dog track in Florida, and I was mad when I arrived. They were closed because we were in the middle of a Category 2 hurricane, and I didn't understand why <laughs> they were closed. I mean, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I can't bet today. I mean, they're closed. And, and the sign says rain or shine. The guy's like, get out of here, idiot. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's that mindset. When I'm in my addiction, I would do whatever is necessary to gamble. I would rob, steal, whatever. I would never sleep. I'd go to a casino for five days straight, never sleep, never eat, just drink water. I would gamble with intensity. I recover and live my life with that same intensity in a positive direction, and the results are just unbelievable.
Well, listen, Joe, I could, you know, you know me and you, man, we, we could do this for two, three hours. Uh, <laughs> we could, but, buddy. <laughs> but uh, it's been a great conversation, man. I really appreciate you, man. Uh, how can, uh, how can, how can people find you online or uh, how can they find the book? Um, JoelElston.com is my website. There's a link to my book. I'm currently working on two other books. Should be out by the end of the year. Maybe, maybe not, you know, ADD stuff, but you, you understand. Uh, it, it, it's uh, just reach out there and love to chat with you, refer you, talk, anything you need. Just reach out. I'd love to talk with you and appreciate it. You again, my friend, I'm so proud of you and so appreciative for what you're doing. Uh, what, a, what an incredible journey it is to watch you live. Thank you so much, Joe. Like I said, I appreciate your your influence on my life, and I think that you know, um, you know, you're talking about things don't happen, you know, by mistake. And I'm I'm a firm believer that uh, you know the universe or God or whatever you want to call it, you know, placed you in my path um, for the sole reason of you know helping uh, helping me achieve some growth, man. And you've definitely done that. And so I love you for it, man. I'm grateful. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, you know, I look for many more forward to many more chats with you uh, on a personal uh, outside of this podcast level. So you, you too, my friend. And let's do another podcast in the future too. Oh, oh absolutely, Joe. Thank you so much, buddy. All right, see you, man. Bye bye. Here at the Real Life Community Center. Our mission is to assist individuals who have been impacted by incarceration, homelessness, who are battling addiction to overcome barriers and obstacles faced within the community to hinder their prosperity and their ability to have a thriving future. Our vision is to walk alongside our clients, to see them grow into prosperous and thriving life while highlighting the barriers associated with those exiting incarceration and overcoming addiction in order to reduce the negative stigmas and stereotypes. Everyday men and women looking for second chances and redemption, walk through our doors. They are seeking hope, motivation, and skills in order to make that change. Through community partnerships and financial investments, Real Life is able to provide clients specifically with what they need. Intense case management, an expected mother's program, recovery housing or housing referrals, mental health services, classes and groups, job preparation and placement, transportation assistance, substance use disorder support, educational opportunities, a clothing closet, a computer lab, and more. And most important, unconditional love and support. All donations directly support providing services to further our mission of assisting individuals who have been impacted by incarceration or homelessness or those battling a substance use disorder to overcome barriers and obstacles faced within the community that hinder their prosperity and ability to have a thriving future. If you would like to donate to Real Life Community Center, you can donate on our webpage, www.reallifeprogram.org backslash donate, or you can donate directly through the anchor.fm app or listening platform.